Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am your host. And I had a great conversation today with uh, Dino Durando. Uh, Dino uh, works for the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joe, down in Missouri. And Dino talks about how the gospel changes everything. Dino and I kind of go through just the power of the basic gospel message for revolutionizing all of the typical parish ministries, RCIA, youth ministry, religious education, marriage prep. Uh, Dino shares some amazing stories of his work really transforming the experience of couples in marriage prep just by infusing a clear proclamation of the gospel. Uh, he walks through just some of the objections and the mental obstacles that sometimes hold us back uh, from clearly proclaiming the gospel. He gives an example of how to do it, how to weave in your testimony. He even talks about how we can, as parents, share the gospel in an effective way with our children. You're going to love today's conversation. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Okay, Dino Durando, welcome to the EquipCast. How are you doing? I'm doing well this morning. How about you? I'm good. Dino, it just dawned, dawned on me. We've been friends for, I don't know, like a couple years now. I think we met, I don't even remember, how did we meet? I think we met at an evangelization summit in Kansas. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Down down in yeah, Kansas City. And I can't believe I've never asked you this question. Is Dino short for something? Is that a is that on the baptismal certificate? Or it, what's your what's your real name? Short. Yeah, no, it is short for something. I'm named after my great grandfather. Um he's not really famously known, but he was involved in the engineering of the of the turbo engine for uh for Ferrari. So okay. back in the in the old country, um, I'm named after my great grandfather. So it's Bernardino Bartolomeo uh-huh. Durando the second. So Saint Bernardino of Siena and Saint Bartholomew the the apostle, the the one that whose whose skin was flayed off of him. Yeah, harder. So yeah, it's short. It's short, but um, I was always kind of known to be called Dino. It's not a thing I like cut down later in life. I've always been called Dino. Yeah, um, it it's actually just means small. Ah. Like, uh, the INO at the end of an Italian name is like a diminutive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's little awesome. Bernard, little Bernard, right? Little, little Bernard. That's that's awesome. And I'm loving the Ferrari connection. So have you seen like Ford versus Ferrari? Is that like your grandfather? Uh, it's uh, not exactly, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What a movie, huh? Yeah. My son's a, my son's a gearhead. So that's, we, we, we wouldn't watch that together. That's good, cool. Good yeah. Stuff. They invented that. They invented that turbo engine, I believe, like those parts, like way before that era. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a l- l- little late uh, for your grandfather. So yeah, okay. So Dino, you know how the Equipcast works here. Tell us a little bit about your your journey of faith. When did when did you first encounter Jesus? Sure. So um, I actually was not raised Catholic, believe it or not. Um, yeah. I definitely have a Catholic family background on my dad's side, but he. Um, he wasn't practicing when I was born, and um, sure, I was baptized, but not in a Catholic church. Uh, I was valid, but um, then I was not really raised with very much faith. And um, after my father died when I was ten, there's a lot in between there to talk about a lot of family chaos. Um, mm. My dad was a great, was a good man, but 
he uh, he died of cancer, and so it was like a re re coming of cancer that he had when I was very young. Hmm. Then it came back, and and he died when I was ten. After that, my mom and I kind of went on a search for a church, hmm. and we landed in the Methodist church kind of accidentally. And uh, I I would say that's the place I really first encountered Jesus in a youth group session where the uh, youth minister was really proclaiming the gospel in a very explicit way, in a way that yeah. I didn't normally hear at church. In fact, um, in yeah. that particular church. And it turned out this youth minister was actually from the Assemblies of God and had a job in the Methodist church. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it. I was going to say, it's like, you know, we're going to, right, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about sharing the gospel. And obviously, you know, in a Catholic context, but it's not, it's not even necessarily that common in a Protestant or evangelical context. Sure. Sure. At least not, not as common as we would expect or hope. Correct. Yeah. I think we wow. sometimes think that's the norm everywhere and it's, it's, it isn't necessarily. There's plenty of people in, in all of the churches who are not alive to the need of the gospel being proclaimed explicitly. Yeah. Um, they, but they think they're doing it by doing a variety of other things. And they, they say that they do it even. If you ask them, they would probably right. say, yeah, yeah, I share the gospel when I. And then, but is it really explicit? And does it include that all-important component of invitation? If there's no invitation to respond, you know, it can often just lead the person to not know really how to react or how to what to do next. Yeah. And the gospel demands a response of our lives, as we well know. Um, that's what discipleship is. So um, if that's not part of the proclamation, it, it almost doesn't even come across as the proclamation of the gospel, potentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're you find a home accidentally in the Methodist church, youth mm -hmm. minister who's actually not right. He's actually the uh, uh, Seventh-day Invet. Do you say, no, what do no, you say? Uh, Assemblies, Assemblies of God. God. Assemblies mm -hmm. of God. And he's working at the Methodist Church and he's sharing the gospel in a way that you can receive. Yeah, that, that's compelling. That, that I mean, the, the fundamental part of it that I could share right now without going through the whole thing, obviously, would just be that he made it very clear that if you really accept the gospel message and you really want to follow Jesus, that the trajectory mm -hmm. of your life changes, but you yeah. go in a new direction. You start, start doing things differently, but you also start thinking differently and you, you live your day differently. You, you give prayer, real prayer, real encounter with Jesus, dialogue, listening, you give mm -hmm. it priority in your day. You start making your moral decisions in light of your relationship with Jesus, as opposed to, well, I just know that that's wrong. Well, that's a totally different thing. Not sinning because it's a rule that you want to follow is a completely different motivation from, I'm friends with Jesus. And so I know this isn't going to make me happy, lead me to holiness, make it's not good for other people. Like your, your motivation becomes radically different. Right. And I don't want to do that to my friend. That's, that's not being a good friend. Yeah. And then the gospel challenges us and changes us even more radically than that to where I don't even want to do that to my enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Dino, we're like, I mean, we just can't help ourselves. Like we're jumping into this. I just want to give a little bit. I've been, you know, an admirer of your work professionally. Uh, again, you're, I don't know your title. You're the kind of director of everything. Uh, not really. Um, you know, down Kansas City, St. Joe. Give people an idea of what your day job is because it's relevant to our conversation. Sure, of course. I, uh, I yeah, I'm definitely a direct, not director of everything. That would be 
far too much, but I was put in a position a few years back by my bishop. I had been doing the marriage and family life office work for quite a while here in Kansas City after um, starting my career in the church in California at a very large parish. And so I brought to bear my parish experience mm -hmm. and my focus on how evangelization happens within families yeah. to bear in this area. I, I have a catechetics training background. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm in a position called um, the director of the office of the domestic church and discipleship. And that's what we call our whole big office that does all of the evangelization, catechesis, um, Hispanic ministry. It, it has all the offices that a typical chancery yeah. would usually have, like youth ministry and outreach to campus, college campuses, et cetera. So yeah. family life stuff, like yeah. it's all together in one space, I kind of wear which both I think of those is fantastic. Hats. Yeah, I wear both of those hats. And I mean, the idea behind it is just my bishop's vision is, um, I mean, it's like my, it's like mine, which is like why I think he, he plucked me out of a different role and, and put me in this particular role, was that um, we really see that it's not a like a, at the expense of the rest of the faithful who not, might not be in a family with children, but the understanding that the domestic mm -hmm. church is a broad term that also means everything that happens when you walk out the doors of the church at, after the, the priest says, you know, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's all of that formation that we would do and all that motivation and support that we would provide for living as the church in our, in our homes, but also in our workplace, our neighborhood, et cetera. So it's really, mm -hmm. um, I think it's less descriptive than the kind of language we use now, because we're very clear about how discipleship is at the core of this whole formation mm -hmm. and evangelization piece of, really being concerned about conversion for people and addressing where they really are, et cetera, being very deliberate about how we help them progress through that. But we could just call it like the office of the laity or something like that, you know, <laughs> the Catholic sure, lady yeah. or something along those lines. <laughs> the office of the baptismal vocation. Precisely, to... yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's, it's a term to give an emphasis. It's the same work that most yeah. people are doing elsewhere, but we definitely have a very clear emphasis now. Yeah, but I love the integration. You know, I, I mean, I love how how integrated it all is. And, and that's maybe like a really nice kind of jumping off point because there are so many particular ministries within parishes that you support. So youth ministry, Hispanic ministry, I'm assuming RCIA, any marriage prep, enrichment, all of that stuff is kind of in one place. Often... Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here, within chanceries and within parishes, those ministries are not working in a in a real integrated way. But you have figured out, I think in, in beautiful fashion, how to provide an integrated, unified support to them. Really, I mean, amongst so many other things, calling them back to a clear proclamation of the gospel and of a commitment to forming disciples. I, I want to just give you an opportunity, you know, I, I took a stab at it there, but give us a little bit of a context of kind of the state of ministries within within parish life. Sure. I think this is where less it sounds like I was boasting or less it sounds like your description of everything being so wonderfully, perfectly integrated, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. uh, be, be kind of portraying like a falseness to it, this is actually a time of great um, change in the in the church. Um, and I don't mean in terms yeah. of doctrine. I mean, in terms of, well, I hope not in terms of doctrine, but in terms of um, the approach that we use to reach yeah. people, this 
deep need to actually kind of strip away some of the older things that we've been doing that we that aren't working very well. So the state of things, yeah. I mean, I think for some people um, in the church, especially, I come across as a bit of a pessimist initially when I talk about this subject, because I think things are pretty bad. I mean, uh, I don't, sure. Yeah, yeah. Listeners to this kind of a podcast are probably relatively familiar with a lot of the statistics. And I'm from the show me state now. I used to be a Californian, but I'm really a Missourian now. <laughs> Um, you know, I have a little farm and I have some cattle, so I think I'm, I think I'm staying here, you know, I think I'm a little yeah, like Missouri here. now and uh, Missouri yeah. is a show me state. <laughs> so we want to be shown stuff, but Mark Twain's also from here. And, uh, he's famously quoted that there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, th- three kinds of lies, lies, damn lies, and statistics. So you can quote statistics and they, they do enlighten the situation on some level. Right. Um, yeah, but they're so like glaringly negative right now. If you just look at a few of them. Um, I'll give you an example of something just that's from our actual diocesan context, but it's really not that different from most parts of the country. Yeah. And it's actually kind of rosy compared to some parts of the world as bad as it is. Right. So right. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in my mid forties. So at the time when I was born here in this diocese, there were twice as many plus mass going Catholics. Wow. So in my lifetime, in my lifetime, yeah, we are less than half as as many people who just bother going to church. Yeah, at now, the same time, the, the population pandemic. grew. That's before the pandemic. Yeah, before the pandemic, which you know the dust is still settling there, but you know most are saying, "Boy, if your if your parish or your diocese only has a ten percent drop, you're you're pretty fortunate." Yes, yes, you know, like a, a net drop after it's recovered. So, Wow. So 50% or more than 50% drop in mass going Catholics while the population grew. Well, actually, no, in our area, there's no, everybody moved. No, oh, I'm didn't. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, of course. Oh, of course. I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, dang, Dino, because like, <laughs> that's our story. Oh, exactly. There's no, you can't candy coat it. You can't candy coat it. In some places you can like very, very locally. Like if you look at some rural places or other places where um, you know, there has been an actual population drop. But even in those situations, if you project out what they should have, if they just stayed at the same percentage versus the population, they're still, it looks dreadful virtually every place in our whole diocese. And we went through and studied this oh, very yeah. carefully before we rolled out a version of what you do in Omaha. Thank you for all your help with that. Oh, well, it's been fun. But, but yeah, this, this, uh, this idea of creating a clear path of of really self-evaluating according to discipleship principles and really learning them deeply and then working to implement them over time. So in preparing for that process, we really took the time to study those numbers and make comparisons and try to do a little bit of extrapolation of those numbers. Just not, not because we're trying to prove something with statistics, but because we're trying to just paint a picture of maybe the way we're doing things is not working. And that's not just my idea. That's not just my attitude because I work for the church and I, and I want things to be better for some performative reason or something. No, no. Like, yeah, uh, this is a really bad circumstance. And mm-hmm. in, if I were professional in some other field and my, my audience <laughs> looked like this, yeah. I would be like, okay, we got to do things differently. Like if I'm on Hollywood and I'm making films and I keep making these films and the audience dwindles and dwindles and dwindles, maybe that style of film or whatever approach I'm using Maybe that needs to change because they're yeah, not getting totally. the message that this is going to be a good movie to watch and spend money on, so to speak. And right. I, I mean, I hate to use an analogy like that to like, like make it sound like somehow the church is selling something or that we're, we're making something, you know, entertainment wise or something. But um, 
you know, you j- just the point of yeah. my audience isn't engaged. And I think that's a valid thing to say. If the audience is not engaged, maybe we need to consider doing some things a little bit differently. You're going to, no objections from me, but I mean, I th- it's really just common sense in, in fr- from the perspective that we have a mission and that 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 mission can be although you know the ultimate fruit of souls in union with god is somewhat invisible we have a couple of indicators that we can look at uh and none of those indicators are headed the right direction i mean all of all of those show like oh you know houston we've got a problem here yeah and and, and it's not like oh gosh we just had a blip like We've got a twenty-year problem. I mean, the the trajectory is pretty solid. Sure, it's it's decades worth of of decline, and now it's starting to get critical. Yeah, and before listeners get like a misunderstanding here as well, like the 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 gauge is not like do people go to mass. Like we're actually when we're talking about discipleship, right. we're actually going to want to measure things that are much more precise even than that. But like just as like a blunt instrument, so to speak, of, of like, hey, this is a, a statistic that um, is hard to hard to get around. And if if this is happening, it means we don't have disciples. We don't have disciple makers um, in the numbers that we yeah. should have. It means that the formation is missing in some way. It means that it means that the culture is having such an impact on us um, as a whole because we don't have a good response. We we haven't raised up disciples of Jesus Christ who look at trends or changes in the culture and say, oh, yeah. uh, that's not actually for me. Even It's it's, it's antithetical to living the gospel message mm-hmm. in its fullness. And so I'm going to choose this instead. There's just a lot of young people who are simply, they're tapping out. Yeah. And it's because mostly, I think it's because we haven't given them a relationship with Jesus that matters. Yeah. When you really talk to people who have left uh, and, and this is this is those who maybe discovered in another Christian church a relationship with Jesus. They're like, that's what I that's what I left for. You know, Catholics are like, yeah, they just want to drink coffee in church. You know, <laughs> they just want they just want a rock band for their like they're like, I mean, no, they taught me how to pray. They introduced me to Jesus. They they opened the scriptures to me. Why they say they left and what they say they were looking for. That's actually a home game for us if if we lean into it. So, okay, let, let's jump into this. So, again, you've had this beautiful conviction, which was uh, I found very uh, contagious. It's been inspiring for me that sharing the gospel in a clear and explicit way is, man, I, I hesitate to say this, but is like the silver bullet secret sauce to enlivening almost every parish ministry. You know, whether it be youth ministry, religious ed, marriage prep, RCIA, on and on and on, all of those kind of moments or contexts, the gospel changes that. Break, like, break that open for us. Sure. I mean, I, I could give you countless examples. I'll, maybe I'll just start with one that um, I think a lot of people would, would resonate with. Marriage preparation, historically, in the Catholic Church, we were kind of like, uh, if, you, if you know non-Catholics, they say, oh, those Catholics really do it right. A lot of Protestant churches have, you know, modeled what they do after what we do. Um, and that mm-hmm. happened decades ago. Um, yeah. The the notion of like people need to have they need to have some evaluation of where their relationship is and have they talked about these things in advance. Um, not to plug, you know, focus that's from where you're from. But 
you know, tools yeah. like that were developed in the Catholic Church to take the best of psychology and put that in the middle of marriage prep. Right. And when you mean focus, it's an assessment, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an the assessment for couples. C's. Yeah, the focus with two C's, yeah. which is an assessment for couples. Um, and it's a, it ends up starting a, a discussion. You know, that also yeah. is a tool. It can be used in a very kind of like superficial way with people. Some people, I remember they, they used to call that the compatibility test or some people even still do so. But if that starts right, it actually turns into a discipleship type of conversation where you're really getting deep into, you know, decisions related to marriage. But the thing is that that as a tool by itself, it doesn't proclaim the gospel message, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not a slight against it. It's not made to do that. Right. And in, in marriage preparation, historically, that's not in a lot of the materials. It's starting to get more and more into various programs and materials, but it's kind of programmatic. And the challenge that we face is that proclaiming the gospel message in a way that changes people's hearts isn't programmatic. Not really. Mm -hmm. Programs can be put in union with it, but you have to have a person who's sharing their real self with other people in the context of sharing the gospel for it to really move hearts. And so yes. when, when we made that shift, for example, at the parish I worked at in California, we, we looked around at all the materials and we're like, this is, doesn't explicitly proclaim the gospel well enough. And it also doesn't integrate that proclamation with the good news about marriage very well. Uh, similar what Christopher West was doing 20 years ago was helpful as a tool and it had a piece of the puzzle, but it wasn't quite all of it. Right. And so we started writing some of our own materials, my wife and I. Um, fortunately, I, I mm -hmm. married a counselor, so I have the w most well-adjusted kids. <laughs> used to say on the block, but now we live in a rural place. So it's in the whole County. Now I just, just to brag yeah. a little bit. I'm kidding, of course, but yeah. And she's like, and I've got ample work and my husband. Yeah. The two, exactly. The two of us put together though, those two disciplines to really say, okay, both yes. of us are motivated to try to figure out how to do the gospel message better in this context. Cause we want to see conversion for these folks. Like this is a touch point for young adults who may or may not know Jesus um, and have a relationship with him. They're about to get married. They're going to be married in a permanent sacrament. The sacrament offers yeah. them ample grace to live in a permanent union. But the whole world says, oh, that's not possible. You know, it's like that that scene in the, the Passion of the Christ, if people have seen it, where Jesus is being tempted mm. in the Garden of Gethsemane. And like, that's our culture just speaking for the devil. Oh, it's too much. Well, it's too not hard. enough to yeah. save them. And the marriage is too hard. You can't. So you can't be married forever and you can't always be faithful. You can't get away from these cultural norms of like watching pornography, et cetera. I mean, uh, it's so prevalent now, yeah. especially with people who are being married right now that are in their mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties, like they've been steeped in the iPhone culture, mm -hmm. their whole young adult life and then some. And so they need to hear the gospel message and it has to be said in a way where the person who's, speaks it can be like self-revealing enough to say, I'm like you a little bit. I'm not exactly like you, but I'm like you a little bit. And when I met Jesus, he changed the trajectory of my life and he changed the trajectory yeah. of our life together as a married couple. And then I see those numbers change where you ask people about their engagement before they start marriage prep. And before we were doing a real explicit uh, proclamation of the gospel message and some of the personal care of following up with that, with the priest doing it, as well as some lay people, in that process, it's very intentional. Yeah. The numbers change dramatically. They go from like 10% of the people say that they're, you know, engaged in their faith and they're planning to use NFP, that kind of thing, to those people, you know, 
change up to be an, an additional 70 or 80%. So you walk out of marriage prep with, wow. you know, 80%, 90% engagement on some of those kind of key factors. There's a lot of yeah. other things important in marriage besides those two things. But I mean, if you had to look for a couple markers, like, are you going to pray and go to mass? And are you going to try to use NFP? <laughs> like, are you open to that? Um, those are two pretty good key indicators, right? Uh, those yeah. are things that actually fight against divorce numbers and make for a, a, a better marriage. And for people to say, yeah, we want to give that a try. How do they do it 10 years down the road? I mean, there's no guarantees there, but to get that initial invitation where you say, now, what do you think? Now, what are you thinking about this? Now, how do you, what, what do you want to do? And I think it's because that explicit message is said, Jesus, Jesus came to save you and make your life better. And there's a lot of ways yeah. to say that message. And, and then here's how you can respond. Do you want you want to do that? Break that down for us, because I mean, this is astounding, and we're gonna we're gonna share lots of stories in different ministry contexts. But like, give us like a quick short crash course crash course in like how do you share the gospel? And you could pick a context if you want, if you want to do kind of marriage prep. But just give like kind of like the short skeleton here of the basic gospel message. So I think it can become a programmatic approach or a kind of a like a mechanical approach when we, yeah. when we say, here's the, here's the points of the gospel. I'm going to do that anyway right now, but I'm going to do it in light of saying it's never said in exactly the same way per se. And it needs to actually have your own testimony embedded in it um, for yeah. it to actually be effective. So it serves as um, like a, a foundation yeah. to build the actual story upon or to build the actual proclamation of the gospel message upon. So, I mean, people use four part, five part gospels, I kind of like the just the simple four part one. God God made us out of out of love. Mm -hmm. He made us for love. Uh, we we sinned in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. We all bear the burden of that sin. It's a sin of disobedience and of saying we're going to do it our own way. Mm -hmm. And we all can I think connect with that. In my own life, I've made a lot of decisions where I said, "Yeah, thanks God, I'm going to do this my own way." Even if I don't even know God exists, people are doing living that way. Yeah. Hurting other people, et cetera, aside from themselves. But we bear this guilt. All of us do. And when we look around, we see it in the world. Then Jesus entered in the middle of that of that mess. He became he's fully God and fully man. He became human um, and he became a, a man in a, in a very small way. He was actually a baby. Hmm. And it, it should shock us that God made himself so vulnerable. But he did. And he lives his life to show us a way that's different. The way that was part of the original plan and then is even better because it's with him. And he dies and suffers on the cross. Through his death, he defeats sin because you can kill God. They did, hmm. but he doesn't stay dead. And he rose from the dead. So that, that point of Jesus came, Jesus saves us. And then he offers us this salvation, but we have to respond to it. Um, and we respond to it through grace because we can't earn it, but we do have to do something to participate in it. Yeah. He decided to do it that way, right? Not to magically save us, but to save us through this gospel message and its power. And through the power of the cross and the resurrection, we have a very different life ahead of us if we, if we choose to say yes to it. And in the church, that makes us part of the family. So that grace that's received and our response that's required of us is, is given within the context of the church as a family. And we're given the grace of the sacraments within our family. And that means that the whole world 
potentially everybody has access to this new family life. So no matter where we've come from, no matter how badly we've sinned, no matter how badly our family life was, uh, no matter how many wounds we may carry, no matter how terrible those wounds may be, um, Jesus actually understands that. And he took all of that into account in the way that he saved us and offers us salvation individually. That's awesome. So that's a, obviously very generic, like it's a yeah. little bit theological. It's not. So here's the, I think here's the rub that you take that. And then there's a bit of a formula that you can use with this, but you have to answer the why. So all of that's really good news. Yeah. But why is it good news for me? So that you, this person I'm speaking to can understand why it's good news for them. That's great. Yeah. Say more about that. Cause that's, I love, I love the way you're breaking that down. Sure. So, so the why is the why it comes out of knowing something of who Jesus is, knowing the doctrines and dogmas of the church and so on. Right. Um, there's all these things Catholics do that are kind of, they're interesting, right? Like, why do we, why do we stand, sit and kneel and do all the things, right? Um, yeah. What's this thing about relics and holy water and incense. And for some people, this is all like odd. And even for some Catholics, they don't know the why behind some of those things. So you want to know those, those things as whys, but here I'm not talking so much about that as I am about the application of it. So why not just be something else? Like, for example, you know, if, if um, a, a, a priest friend of mine, he posits this from time to time to people when he thinks it's an appropriate way to explain this, he would say to them, you do realize that if Jesus is not actually alive, like if he's not just resurrected then, but like now, my life is totally different. And in fact, if, if yeah. he didn't rise from the dead, you and I need to go get circumcised. <laughs> like we need to be Jews, right? That's awesome. So part embedded in this answering of the why for lots of other different reasons. That's one example of a, of a particular motivation why you want to know yeah. your why. Yeah, which um, gets people's attention. <laughs> it, it does. It does. But uh, especially adult men it gets men. there yeah, 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 quickly. Like, uh it did in its in its historical context even <laughs> yeah this is not a new quickly. not a new strategy for exactly um but anyway uh your why comes out of your conviction of well why why am i a catholic why would i bother to share the gospel with you like it's embarrassing it's kind of hard it can be awkward there's mm -hmm. a little risk involved in it what if this is a friendship that i'm worried i might lose if i share the gospel too explicitly at this time that's where some discernment comes into play, right? You don't want to be annoying um, and you don't want to intentionally run around wrecking relationships because you're going to be proclaiming the gospel at the wrong time to ears that aren't ready to hear it. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, it's like the best way to get yourself a seat, you know, all alone at South, <laughs> you know, on, on Southwest is to sit down with someone's like, Hey, would you like to talk about Jesus? It's like, I have my oh, Bible here and oh, uh, oh, you're switching seats. Okay, cool. But yeah, it definitely countercultural. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you never know. Sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit on an airline flight has told me to start a conversation about faith the very first moment, which I'm usually not necessarily inclined to do. So when it's like this blaring thing on my heart, I'm like, oh, there must ah. be something going on here. I guess I'll risk it a little bit. And then it could turn into, it has before turned into like a kind of like the cold shoulder approach. But other times it's like the person's weeping within, you know, 45 seconds of the conversation. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I I've had some cra yeah, crazy ones like that too. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long flight. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So I, I think you have to have this kind of discernment to know. Mm -hmm. And that's a thing to develop over time of really being open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but also just kind of paying attention to the person in front of you and um, trying mm -hmm. your best to gauge 
and and get in between that like that right sweet spot where it's like you're not you're not um intimidated but and you're bold but you're also not like overly eager mm-hmm. to where it's like really the right timing as opposed to you know being annoying and also like just not being like a coward yeah because that can be used as kind of the oh it's never the right time because i just it's going to be uncomfortable well it's always going to be uncomfortable so anyway that's a matter of like christian maturity that we're probably not going to have time to go into depth about yeah. right now maybe but here's a formula for it though so to add your own testimony in and insert it in your proclamation of the gospel like that you can give a much simpler proclamation of the gospel i mean it's actually so simple god loves you has a plan for your life sin enter the world jesus has an answer you're called to respond and live a life in the church like that's the shortest version of that kind of that I think you can do. And you're, you're, you're weaving in there, these kinds of answers. Who was I before, before I really not just met Jesus, but before I responded to Jesus, before I decided to live as his disciple, what was my life like? Um, maybe there's emotions that were common or behaviors that were common that could be shared. Even if they're a bit embarrassing, then what yeah. happened specifically? Like you got to get really concrete about like what actually changed. Mm-hmm. about that it not just this generic well jesus entered my life and then everything is all better it has to be much more concrete and then who am i now am i in a better place and if so how mm-hmm. that someone can relate to i'll give you an example so when i first became a catholic uh it was in san francisco i had met the most beautiful girl in the world she happened to be catholic i started going to church with her i had an encounter with jesus in the eucharist early on in that reality and then much later on went through rca and became catholic because I couldn't explain why, what that, what was going on there. And I, and I was intrigued by it. Right. And I saw that her life was a little bit different. She was also a Christian, but her life was different from mine in ways that I don't know that she ever initially said were really explicit. What changed for me was when I really met Jesus again, there in the church, Mm -hmm. I began to really address a couple of really core things and they were connected. One of them was I was still really angry with God for how my family life had been mm. and for how my father had died. And I had stepfathers who weren't really very good male role, role models. And I felt a real gap in being able to really call God father and believe he really loved me personally. Mm. Like I didn't actually feel worthy of his love. So I'd hear the message and it would be like, well, yeah, that's for some people, but I'm not really sure it's for me. Maybe I'll be saved because I just kind of like slept, slept through this. <laughs> Right. Maybe just yeah. if I just kind of hang out in the corner, mm. then I'll, I'll be taken care of and provided for somewhat. But like the father's love fully for me, I, I, I don't really think that's mm. a thing. And, uh, and my first confession was an hour long, tears everywhere. That's not normal for me. I'm not an easy crier. <laughs> and, uh, but it was all about, it was focusing on my sins connected to my anger at God the Father. Yeah. Um, and in part of acting out in that way was like, self-soothing through masturbation, watching, looking at pornography. Back in those days, it was before easy access to the internet and everything. So mm-hmm. it was a different kind of thing than people are facing today. But like, that's not part of my life anymore. Yeah. Because I encountered the Father's love. And then over time, I developed habits in my life by which I have an integrated sexuality. And I know I'm loved by the Father. And I know that my love for other people flows from that. Changes everything. Mm-hmm. And if I can share that with somebody at the right time in the right way and so on without making them too uncomfortable or whatever, right? Sometimes it does mm-hmm. make them a little bit uncomfortable, but I know they can handle it because I'm just being honest about who I am and where I've been. Then that has impact that's way better than any like special video series or yeah, 
precise theological explanation of some facet of Catholic, of Catholic teaching. Like, I, okay, it's good to be able to do those things, but this is the thing that really impacts people. And you don't have to have that much training to do this. You just have to know it. It has yeah. to be who you are. And that's done through friendships, mentoring from another. That's what discipleship's really about. It takes handing on how to do that to other people, doing it with them and for them, um, and then addressing them as a person who could do this also, because kind of everybody could do it, actually. Yeah. They're not everyone's ready to do it now, but everybody has the personal capacity in some way to say, this is my why. This is why. Yeah. Dino, talk about, because again, you've been able to help train and equip very ordinary people and ordinary, you know, whether it be volunteers, catechists, you know, parish staff, even, you know, some of the priests to kind of reinsert the gospel, this kind of clear message of the gospel that is, you know, that, that, that is filled and surrounded. It's, it's embedded in my story. How have people responded to, to that? Because it's this very, it's not rocket science, but it's a, it, it really changes things. It makes a profound in, impact. How have people responded to that invitation to, to, to do things differently? Sure. I find it striking that um, you would ask the question like that because my immediate response is just, it is almost so much, it's almost more for the person who does it than it is one who receives it sometimes. Yeah. They, they once once they start sharing about Jesus like this, it's not a boast. It's a wow, actually this, you know, this is really real and I'm not like I'm not when I say it out loud, it has this greater impact. It's almost like um like you know you're a sinner and you know you did that sin and then when you go to confession and you say it explicitly, it's like it hits you. Mm-hmm. And then your trajectory kind of changes somewhat from it. Just not because you're like, I don't want to have to confess that again, but like, Hey, I'm free of that now. Like I said it out loud. Now I'm free from, free from it. Yeah. In the case of the gospel message, just the opposite. When you proclaim it, you now become more bound to it. I think. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I would say I, I've my mini testimony. And that is I was serving as a missionary for almost a decade I loved hanging out with people. I loved just kind of winning people over through friendships, basketball, just hang out. I loved teaching people about the faith, kind of forming and equipping them. What I wasn't so fond of, uh, truth be told, I was just scared of it because it was culture. I didn't want to give a clear and explicit proclamation of the gospel and a call to conversion. And I really had to wrestle. And it was Praise God, right? A perfect, you know, it was a lot of church documents and reading John Paul II and things through my my master's course. And I was blessed to have missionary friends who didn't have the same inhibitions and they had better stories than me. And when mm. I, fu- which made me jealous, right? The competitive side of me is like, what the heck? And so when I finally began to, again, it was a multifaceted approach to changing my heart and mind on this. But when I finally began to share the gospel in a clear and explicit way, it it was a second conversion. I mean, it was just the best thing for me to say nothing of the, the lives the Lord was able to impact because I finally let it out. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I had that experience when I was in graduate school. I served on the RCAA team at the university. Um, I went to Franciscan University, and you'd think everyone there is already Catholic, but it turns hmm. out they're not all Catholic. So, yeah, 
<laughs> at least not on the inside. Yeah, no, there are people who go to that school, not Catholic, almost kind of intending, like, I want to go there and then join the RCIA even. But uh, others just go there because they're going there, they're locals or whatever other reason. And then they, they run into all these serious Catholics and uh, it's dangerous territory to go. And if you don't want to end up in the RCA at some point, but uh, it was a beautiful experience to learn how to do it there in that context. And mm -hmm. then it was integral to my own conversion during that time as a graduate student. Like you can learn good methodology and learn good doctrine and learn how to read the scriptures and, you know, all of these um, things that you would think that would convert you. But I think what really there's a lot of experiences I had there that were converting for me. But one of the things that really gave me the confidence to go out and be confident in the Lord going out and doing work in the field, so to speak, right, to go to work in a parish and uh, give everything to that situation, all the challenges and its discouraging discouragements and its um, the, the failures uh, that, that come with like, learning how to do ministry well. Yeah. That all was strengthened by the fact that I had been proclaiming the gospel in the RCA and I had seen the conversion that happened to others. But I also then, I mean, I, I became mm -hmm. a person who could do that and I could, I had the boldness to do it without being ashamed or afraid. And that's actually like the most important thing I got out of all of my graduate studies. I mean, mm -hmm. not that the rest of it wasn't, I mean, it was an excellent education, all totally worth it. But like, if I hadn't come out with that, I think I'd have been pretty mediocre at actually helping spread the gospel once I got into, you know, working in a parish and then now working in a diocese. Like it's all built on that. It's actually, it's funny, but it's built on the fact that you shared. Yeah. That you stuck your neck out and then you did it again and you did it again and you see the results of it, but you also see how it changes your, your own conviction to where it's like, um, I want to be more faithful to Jesus. Yeah. Because I actually also proclaim him. And and uh, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. You know? I, I think this is why Pope Francis calls right calls it like the the joy of the gospel. Because when we begin to share and evangelize, we rediscover a joy. Like it really is. There's a vibrancy and a joy. There's a I, I can't think of a better word when we begin to do this. I just want to give you a chance, just on you know. With some some honesty here, because you have you've been teaching people, staff members, parish specialists, RCIA, youth ministry, marriage prep, et cetera, et cetera. You've been teaching them to begin to do this, right? To share the gospel in a clear and explicit way. Many I know are able to receive it and and share it with joy, but there are some kind of uh, let me say like maybe mental pitfalls, uh, obstacles that sometimes trip people up in receiving this and incorporating that into their labors. Can you just walk us through a couple of those and, and maybe mm -hmm. dispel those for us? I, I suppose so. I'll try not to offend anyone here in the way I say this. Um, uh, Cause I can get a little strong sometimes when I talk about this particular subject. Uh, the early church did it this way, right? So mm -hmm. a real common objection is like, that's very Protestant or, you know, uh, why is it not acceptable to be more reserved? That's just a thing for other people to do, not for me to do. I yeah. think they're kind of rooted in the same thing. And it's a, it's a, it's a certain amount of timidness yep. and probably at the heart of it, there's not a, a, a yet as sincere an acceptance of the gospel message that includes discipleship or includes that I have to make other disciples. That's mm -hmm. on my heart, right? Um, it's like, it's enough for me to be saved, but do I have to be cooperating really in saving others or 
So, hey, the early church did it this way. This is how they did it so quickly. They did it within the context of family. They were radically for the other. They expressed it in ways that spoke so loudly to the culture they were in that people couldn't ignore it. Yeah. People would leave the babies out on the street, on the, on the, on the street, on the doorstep because they were unwanted because there was something wrong with them or they just didn't want them for some reason. And the dogs of the city would come and eat them. And that was acceptable. And the Christians were like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll save those babies. Thanks. Yeah. Even if it costs us something. And then if we're looked at as people who are like rebuking this, our, our own society, we're bold enough to say, no, that's not good. Uh, we won't tolerate that. Um, yeah. We're intolerant in, of, of that kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Um, that's how the early church did. They proclaimed the gospel very radically and they, within their own homes. Um, they made disciple invitations to other, you know, they proclaimed the gospel and made these kind of invitations to others. And, and we have examples from early church father writings that point that that was the thing that was being done in some, you know, some way. Yeah. In, in the ordinary ways. It's not, it's not something Protestants invented at some later date. In fact, they're not always very good at it. Yeah, well, and I, I would add, not only were they doing it, but they were doing it in a culture without religious freedom, without institutional supports, without right. you know schools and libraries, whatever. It yeah. was at the cost of their lives, they were weaving the gospel in their stories, in all their relationships with their, their neighbors and their friends and their non-Christian family members. Yeah, and I mean, it changed read, a generation. Yeah, yeah. You read the book of Acts and it's it's there over and over again. Um, and, and that's not the only place where we can find the, the gospel message being, you know, specifically t- spoken about as being kind of essential to being a Catholic. Yeah. Being, a, you know, a person of the early church. Um, another really common objection is um, you're going to offend people. You're mm-hmm. going to judge people like I can't judge people. Mm-hmm. There is a way to proclaim this in a way that people feel judged. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I think we need to be mindful of that when we share it with people. Um, but again, that's part of why this is not necessary. I mean, there are contexts where you can share the gospel message to a big group of people, but it's usually most effective in a, in a much smaller group who are there specifically to hear it, or you're doing it with an individual that you know, yeah. that knows you, that who you know. And that's why the, the why is so important in this, Yeah, because you're also convicting yourself. And if you've convicted yourself of sin, and you've said it out loud to that other person on some level, even in generic fashion, it changes the tone of your being able to say, hey, we're all sinners. Because you really mean it. Actually, I do. And convinced we're all <laughs> sinners because I'm actually also one of them. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, um, yes. It takes the yes. air out of that objection of your judgmental. I think yeah. it does if you do it right. Yeah. Oh, totally. It, it totally. But I love what you're saying here. There's a expressly relational, intimate, smallness to this. And I think if uh, many of our listeners, if they have have seen the gospel proclaimed in a clear and explicit way, uh, it's maybe likely in the context of a big retreat or a big conference or maybe a homily. And those are great. Let's keep doing those. But you're highlighting that there is something even more effective about the small personal relational context of friendships yeah. and small yeah. groups and a particular ministry like youth ministry, marriage prep, et cetera. Yeah. And I mean, we have to make this very real as well because um, this is where this impacts ordinary Catholics. It's mm-hmm. too, they also do the, it's for the professionals thing, which is kind of what I, I talked about earlier, but there's yeah. often an objection that's for the professionals and I'm a professional. So isn't that like, like, how do I argue against that? Well, 
then I, you, you want to, when you're talking to leaders, you want to share ways that you do it that are not at all professional. Yeah. So I would give typically give an example to someone who has that concern or objection, or I'm just training them and I know it's like a common objection. So I'm just going to do it, embed it within the way I'm going to talk to them about this in a group or individuals even to say, okay, so when, when one of my kids is having a problem, they're getting mm -hmm. to that age where I can talk really explicitly about some of the things from my own history that I normally would just talk to adults about. Mm -hmm. It's time for me to get real with them at that point. I know that they've been exposed to that reality in, in life. Yeah. And so it's important for them to hear from their father, the actual gospel message applied to that. And for them to hear like, Hey, um, I didn't go through it exactly the way you did or in exactly the time you did. Um, and my, I might even be talking to one of my girls and not one of my boys. Yeah. They need to hear like what I said earlier. Yeah. In its proper form. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll, sometimes I'll give a very specific example. Um, it, you have to be careful what context you say it in because you don't want yeah. to embarrass any of your children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My kids but, are like other people's kids. Uh, I think they're pretty, I, 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 I feel confident that they've left my home. I have four that are adults out of the home now. Mm -hmm. we, we have 10 children, so we're still got a long road to go a long, yeah. long run that's left ahead of us. But I'm confident they're disciples when they leave the house because they, they've heard the gospel message from me, from their mother in other church contexts. They've been discipled in ways it's been explained to them what it means to really put Jesus at the center of their life and make decisions in relation to him, as opposed to having Jesus as kind of like, he's part of the constellation of things in my life. And I fit him in when I can. Yeah. Um, so I don't have any fear of them going out into the world. And because um, I know that they've received this and that they they've developed, I've given them the chance to encounter Jesus. I've given them the chance to respond to the gospel. I've given them the chance to learn what it's like to have an interior prayer life, to have an interior life on a daily basis with Jesus. And yeah. I mean, everything else is gravy after that. If you can do those yeah. things. And I mean, maybe one of the kids doesn't receive it and they go off and they make some bad decisions for a while. I have confidence that they know that that exists. They were given that as a gift. Yeah. So they can come back to it, even if they walk away. So I mean, I love it. I pray yeah. for them and I worry for them and I, I try not to worry for them. Uh, I still reach out to them in appropriate ways. It, your discipling relationship changes when they get to be adults. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I know I did my part and I think all parents can do their part in their own way. Mm -hmm. They just need to know how to do it. Yeah. Oh, Dino, this is so good. Cause it's, the, I mean, again, I'm, we have similar kind of story of where, where our kids are at and I, yeah, I have the same, same conviction that it's like, you know, I want them to know the gospel. I want them to know how to encounter the Lord on a daily basis in their personal prayer. And man, I'm a nerd. I want them to know all the other cool Catholic stuff. But those things find meaning and power only in a relationship with Jesus and a renewed daily encounter with him in prayer. And uh, man, there's, yeah, there's enough... There's enough sin and brokenness in my story uh, in the past, in my daily life, to, to give ample witness to God's saving power. Yeah, dad, dad needed and still needs the Savior. Yeah, I, I think it's when it gets concrete with them at the right, in the right stages of development for them and the right moments. You know, those really hard conversations are deflated almost. Like, I've got to talk to my kid about this. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, well, I didn't go through exactly that, but 
I went through this other thing. And so if I just say it out loud, it, it turns out it actually changes the, the atmosphere very yeah. quickly. And your kid goes, oh, dad just said something that is really profound that I didn't know about him, but I could guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like you, you give your kids credit, credit for like our children are smarter than we give them credit for. Sure. You know, this has gone so fast. I just want to give you a chance for a last word here. Like, what would you say to someone who wants to take a first step in beginning to share the gospel in a more explicit way? Maybe in a parish or ministry setting, or maybe just in a very relational context, a friend or a neighbor. Where should they begin? So it's a question of whether someone's really um, ready to say yes to doing this. It probably sounds very overwhelming to a lot of people. At least it does in my experience. They they feel overwhelmed by the thought of having to share the gospel. Like it's at first, it sounds like a burden to them rather than mm-hmm. as a joy. And so when someone's in that place, I think just introducing them to the idea through friendship is important. Often there are studies that are helpful um, to participate in some kind of a discipleship study in a parish um, and receive it again for yourself again, you know, mm-hmm. like really again, receive it, not just sort of go and go through the motions, but really, okay, I, I know Jesus already, but what does it mean to encounter him again today? And move through that to learning how to have a deeper relationship with him in prayer, perhaps mm. uh, receiving healing of, of various things of our own. Like we have to have that experience. Now, if we've had all those things and we're still at that point where we're not sure where to go next, I think that's when you're ready to just to learn some of these basic skills, right? You yeah. get a, you get a, either you get a mentor who can help you hone up and practice with you mm-hmm. what it's like to share the gospel with them. You know that they're, they're a willing hearer um, because they, you know, they want to help you with it and they may have some advice. Someone you know who can do this already is the best person to kind of mentor you in that way. We in our diocese just released a uh, study. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's available online. It's um, The study is called Every Catholic, a Disciple Maker. We didn't come up with the idea for it like from scratch. We borrowed some things from Michael Hall and his book, Intentional Accompaniment. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really a, just a short course on that. Anybody can access it on the website for free. Um, it's like a little three-part study of it. And it goes through some of these practical skill development pieces, uh, how to tell whether someone's ready to hear the gospel or not. Um, what does it look like to share the gospel message in specifics? How do you know what your why is and how do you develop being able to share your why with someone and so on? I, I think there's a little bit of practical training people are looking for or they yeah. need, and something like this can do it. Uh, the website's discipleshipkc.org slash ECDM stands for every Catholic, a disciple maker. So discipleshipkc.org slash ECDM. Cool. I'm sure you'll put it in the notes, but it's, it's out there for free. Anybody can go and access it. They may find that a helpful tool. There's lots of other tools out there as well. Again, it's going to take a probably at some point some kind of disciple, discipleship mentoring from another person who can do it well. Yeah, I love the way you answer that. It's just like, okay, well, rediscover the gospel, get deeper in touch habitually in prayer, let the Lord, again, give you an experience of healing. And then yeah, just pick up a few skills, you know, let get, get yourself and just start to start to do it. I, I love that. And it's a skill like any other skill on some level as well. I mean, you're trying to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit in the midst of it and so on. So it's different from learning a sports skill or something, but people don't become 300 hitters in baseball over overnight. They have to work at it. And that's, yeah. I love baseball as an analogy to, for this kind of a thing, because like, you're amazing. If three out of 10 times you're successful. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, yeah, you're in the hall of fame. Yeah. If you're like, maybe lower that's... the bar. 
Yeah, yeah lower that's the bar 30%. Of your own yeah, of your own expectations of how well you'll proclaim the gospel. And the, if you'll see the immediate response to, from somebody, sometimes the person doesn't immediately bear fruit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Keep the relationship going. Don't worry about it. That's God's job. Yeah. Well, and when you listen to people's stories, oftentimes they're like, yeah, I had this friend and they kept inviting me and they kept encouraging me and they kept challenging me and they, you know, and yeah. it's like, and then like two years later, and when you're that friend, you just feel like a tool. You're like, okay, this is just not working yeah. and yeah. I'm just bugging them. And it's only later with tears of gratitude. They're like, thank you for persevering. And I might point out one of the key skills here is actually listening, as you just as you just said. Um, yeah. I mean, that's when you can actually know what they're going through and where they are and whether they're ready to hear the gospel is you got to listen a lot. Sometimes you have yeah. to ask also the right questions. So that's also one of the skills that's really important, almost more important than having a perfect delivery of the gospel is actually yes. like having really authentically listened to that person. You have to love them if you're going to say the gospel to them. And the reason you say it is because you love them, you know, the father's love for them. And if you don't say it, you're going to regret it. Yeah. And it's the, it's the listening that makes it perfect. I.e. it fits them. It's not the, <laughs> it's not the, like I, I practice this. I've got a really sh good script. Uh, it's like, no, this is, this is for you. Yeah. Uh, Dino, we could talk all day. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Uh, discipleshipkc.org. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna post that and uh, other cool stuff in in the show notes. You you mentioned Michael Hall's book, Intentional Encompassment. Uh, thank you, Dino. Thanks thanks for what you do. Thank you for what you do, and I'll, I'll pray for you. Pray for me. This is uh this, this is always a, a a challenge, right? We say the gospel message, and then there's resistance. So stay stay strong, brother. Yeah. Amen. All right, everybody, you know somebody who needs to, to hear this episode. So I encourage you to share this out with a friend. And uh, yeah, go check out those those resources. If you're if this is tugging on your heart and you're feeling that, hit hit pause after you get home and you got the dog uh, un, unleashed and uh, uh, go check out these resources. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.